Sorry. 
In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, and he was sent to a virgin betrothed by a man named Joseph of the house of David. And he said, Greetings, O favorite one, the Lord is with you. But Mary was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what greetings this might be. And he said, Mary, do not be afraid, the Lord is with you. And behold, you shall conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And he shall be great, and he shall be the son of the Most High, and he shall be given the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom shall have no end. As long as I could remember, we'd been waiting on the Messiah to come. Me, my family, our whole nation, it's just always been that way. I always knew he'd come, but, well, let's be honest. It's not like I'm from Jerusalem or someplace special. I'm just a girl, a nobody, from Nazareth. And we all know that not much good comes out of Nazareth, never has. I thought for sure that angel had come to the wrong house with his announcement, but... If that was what God wanted, then who was I to tell him he was wrong? And Joseph, oh, God bless that wonderful man. He could have joined in with everyone else, sent me away, even had me killed. But he never broke his promise to marry me. So when he had to go to Bethlehem for the census, I was honored to ride by his side. Even with bloated cankles, heartburn, and nine months of pregnancy behind me. You know those women who do different things to try and induce labor, like taking frequent walks or eating spicy foods? Well, what they should do is set out on a bumpy 70-mile-long trip to Bethlehem because not long after we arrived, well, I had never done this before, but I knew it was time. With each wave of pain, I tried to ignore the fact that I would be having this baby without my family's help, without the familiarity of home. When Jesus was finally born, I forgot all that, though. I wrapped him up in cloths and made him the most comfortable bed that I could out of the only thing that we had, an animal's feeding trough. Joseph said I should have been sleeping then, but I just couldn't stop staring at him. There he was, the one the angel had told me about. My heart was so full, but none of my words were big enough to express it. I'm not the first young girl to bring a child into the world. That's nothing new. But as I looked down into the face of my son, my redeemer, I knew that he would be the one to change the world because he had already changed me.
Baby boy
Tens of thousands of people rallied Sunday to protest last week's coup. The military rounded up the nation's democratically elected leaders. fire on large crowds in several cities. Hundreds were arrested. Despite the growing international condemnation. In the book of Acts and Acts chapter 12, there's a lot of geopolitical things that are happening that everyone would have been talking about, would have been dominating the headlines. And yet in the background behind all of that, without anyone realizing the kingdom of God was spreading like wildfire all over the known world at that time. We work in an area of Southeast Asia that's experiencing a lot of turmoil and upheaval right now, a lot of anger, a lot of fear. At the same time, we've seen opportunities to share the gospel. People are very hesitant to believe in a God that they can't see. People worship both the spirits and Buddha. But when the pandemic hit and all of a sudden everyone was afraid and everyone's lives were being changed because of this virus that was unseen, well, hey, you're scared of something that you can't see. Let me tell you about something that you can't see that will free you from that fear that will give you life. Just outside our city, there's a small village of about 50 people. We got connected to an elderly woman. Our national partner had been sharing the gospel with her. She said, I believe I'm in. And she has since been just an incredible force that God's used. In the last year and a half or two years, we're hearing stories of 30 homes in this village coming to faith, and this entire village coming to faith, and half of this village coming to faith. God's moving in some pretty exciting ways, but there's still a long way to go. Not knowing what the future holds has been really challenging. Even though there's upheaval and chaos in our region and around the world, we are more confident than we've ever been that this is exactly where we need to be. This is exactly what God has called us to do. In the background, maybe not making the headlines, people's lives will be changed, disciples will be made, and the kingdom of God will spread like wildfire. to you everybody my name is Brad if you're a guest with us today welcome I'm the lead pastor here at Southview and it's so good to have you worshiping with us today during this Christmas season we take time to focus in on international missions and we unashamedly ask you to be in prayer about sacrificially giving towards that um, we partner with other Southern Baptist churches around the country during this season for what we call the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. And that's where we pull our resources together so that we can realize more collectively than we can do by ourselves. And a part of that is we send money out to places like that video just showed you, where we can send out missionaries to engage with the gospel and see entire villages that you're never going to know the name of. People that you're never going to meet this side of heaven, but they get to hear the gospel and come to faith in Jesus. And that happens in large part because you give. And so I want to encourage you during this time here in December to be prayerful about sacrificially giving. Uh, you can either write a check, mark it Lottie Moon Christmas offering, Christmas offering, something like that, and put it in the offering boxes as you leave. Or you can pull up the app on your phone and go to the Give button on the app and just make sure you designate Christmas offering on that. Uh, and then you can give that way. But however you give, 
we really encourage you to do that. This is something that we take very seriously, something we believe God's called us to do, to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth, and this is one of those ways that we can do that. So I want to take just a minute, and I want to pray for us. I want to pray that God stirs in our hearts, that uh, we would be stirred up to be generous givers, that we would have a heart for the gospel going to the ends of the earth, that God would raise us up to not only just to be givers, but to pray fervently for that, and that God would raise us up to go and to be the ones that send the message of the gospel around the earth. So, uh, so if you could just bow your heads for me just for a moment. I want to pray for us. Um, Lord God, I ask you, as we gather here this morning, God, that as we see the story of Christmas playing out, as we see an angel coming to a young little girl named Mary and scaring her to death and telling her an unbelievable message that the Savior of the world is coming and He's going to come through her. Lord, that message is still being proclaimed today. The Savior is here. The Savior is coming. So just like Mary was, was that first one hearing the good news and how she physically was going to bring Jesus on to this earth, you today call us to proclaim that good news to the ends of the earth, saying Jesus has come he has died for your sin. He has risen again, and he desires to make you new. I pray, God, that you would stir up in us, God, a hunger and a love for this. And I pray, God, that you would make us in this room sacrificial givers towards that end. Bless our offerings to that and use that for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, again, we're so glad that you're with us here today. We're in the middle of a Christmas series. We're calling Christmas More Than Tinsel and Toys. The, the hope behind the series is to highlight for us what Jesus brings. We've seen that Jesus brings us hope. We've seen that Jesus brings us peace. Today we're going to see that Jesus brings us joy, what that looks like and how that plays out in your life. Uh, something else that we're wanting to do here in this series is we're wanting to give you an opportunity to hear from other pastors that we have here at our church. And the reason that we're doing that is because as the lead pastor here, uh, uh, you see me standing in front of you uh, 48, 49 weeks out of the year. Um, and, and it could be very easy for you to think that somehow all of this comes off from me. Like I, I'm responsible for everything that you see here. And that could not be the farthest thing from the truth. Uh, being uh, a church of our size, a large and growing church, it takes a team of pastors to shepherd you well. Uh, and we have an amazing group of guys that do that. And so I wanted to take some time during this Christmas season to let you hear from them. Let them come and share the word with you. So today uh, you have the privilege of hearing from our worship pastor, uh, Pastor Scott. And so um, we had to convince him that he wasn't allowed to preach with a guitar around his neck because that's where he feels comfortable. Um, God actually set that aside. Uh, but he's uh, coming today to share an amazing word on joy and how Jesus Christ comes to give us joy. So, so Scott, you come on up. I'm going to pray for you and cut you loose and let you go. Lord, we just thank you for the joy that only you give. We thank you, God, that you provide that for us. We pray, God, that you would allow us to hear your word, receive from you, Holy Spirit, and be shaped by what your word says to us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, Pastor Brad. All right. Good morning, church. Everybody excited? I'm super excited. Again, if you don't, if you don't know me, I'm, I'm usually one of the ones leading worship up here 
um, with a phenomenal team of people and behind the scenes. They do so much, and I appreciate everything that they put into uh, this ministry and this church uh, week after week. So if you know me, so I'm preaching on joy, right? <laughs> okay, so there you go. So it's a little out of my comfort zone, I'm just going to say that. Like I'm not exactly the, the happy, bubbly pastor on the staff, I'm more like the angry cat, kind of just, you know, he comes out when he wants to be fed and then he goes back in. And uh, like I'm a glass half empty. My, my family and I went to Disney a few weeks ago, had a really good time. It's, um, I don't know that it's the happiest place on earth, it certainly is the most expensive, <laughs> but we went there and this is, this is me, the only thing I got, the only thing I got was a little lapel pin of grumpy. And it says, I'm not grumpy, everybody else is just too happy. So there you go. So two things from that. Um, my being asked to preach on joy is a good thing because it challenges me, you know. Because as pastors and as just, just Christians in general, you should never profess something to, some, to someone else that you're not doing yourself. It's a challenge. And so I'm working through issues, okay? So we're... So it's a good thing for me to be preaching on joy because it calls me to examine myself and say, do I, do I really have the appropriate joy in the Lord? And the other thing that this reminded me of for today is there is no way that anything good comes out of this apart from Jesus Christ. Not at all. So whatever happens in this service, through the music, through Brad praying, through the preaching, is from God alone. So we're going to jump in, all right? So we're talking about joy sometimes referred to as happiness. We all seek after it. We all desire it, right? It's something, it seems like mankind is, is sort of on a never-ending search to be satisfied, to find fulfillment in something. We have countless books. We have seminars. We have programs that have been created over decades to help people achieve this elusive state and the so-called happiness industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. So it's big business, right? We're all searching for something. So obviously it's an important piece of the human experience. But the idea also is, the idea of joy is, it's a foundational, a critical piece of our walk with Jesus. The psalmist says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. In 105, Verse 43 says, so he brought his people out with joy, his chosen ones with singing. And then in Romans chapter 14, the apostle Paul said, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And then most of us know that in Galatians, um, it's listed as one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. So it's clearly something that all believers possess. If we look through scripture, we see that the word joy is used over 150 times in the Bible. If such words as joyous and joyful are included, that number goes up to a little over 200. And if the verb, the verb rejoice appears well over 200 times. But I think from a Christian perspective, um, it's probably one of the most misunderstood ideas and emotions, you know. It's important for us to understand what the true meaning of joy is as defined by God's word lest we be pulled away from the temptations of this world. They only serve to distract, disappoint, and they end in death. So before we go any further, what we're going to do is we're going to define exactly what we mean when we say joy, right? 
Merriam-Webster's official definition is as follows. It says, the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or the prospect of possessing what one desires. The Lexham Bible Dictionary defines joy as being closely related to gladness and happiness, although joy is more a state of being than an emotion, a result of choice. I actually don't agree with either definition. The real question, again, is how does God define joy? So here is my working definition. This is where we're going to start with, okay? So as we work our way through what Scripture says, true biblical joy is a feeling, that's important, in the soul that is produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see and marvel at the beauty of Christ for the sole purpose of glorifying God the Father. And that's a mouthful. If you say it another way, it's the emotion of salvation, the pleasure of seeing and savoring, knowing and trusting Jesus. We can't generate it ourselves. It is the work of the Holy Spirit residing in us. It's a deep delight in the personhood of Christ. So again, our goal for today is just to walk away with a better understanding of what true joy is. How do we possess it? How do we allow it to sort of transform our lives? And through this discussion, um, to see the glories of God magnified. So to help us accomplish this, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. We're going to be walking through the angel's um, announcement of Jesus' birth to the shepherds, verses 8 through 14. So if you have uh, your Bible or your iPhone or um, whatever people use nowadays, I don't know, I guess that's it. Your eye, your eye watch, can you <laughs> watch it <laughs> like this? <laughs> Let's... Let's, let's read together. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So a little backstory. We just heard from Mary uh, a short time ago in the skit. Um, so, so Joseph, most of us know that Joseph and Mary are in um, Bethlehem, and they were there because Caesar Augustus, the ruler of the free world, the king of the world, if you will, um, has basically decreed that all peoples are to be counted for a census, right? It's for um, the purpose of taxation. But part of the requirement is that everybody is required to go to their hometown, their their ancestral place of origin, if you will. So that's why they traveled there. Joseph, because he is of the lineage of King David, returns to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Now, the interesting thing is we aren't really sure why Mary traveled with him. She wouldn't have been required to go. It would have just been the men in the family that were required to attend. But um, she did, and it doesn't seem to make sense because she was pregnant. She was with child. And so the truth is, uh, maybe she, maybe they just wanted to get away from Nazareth and maybe all the gossip that was going on. Uh, I, we don't know. Scripture doesn't really say. But what is the point here, and I think it sort of impacts our lives if you think about it, is that um, the king of the world, Caesar, 
thought that he was making everybody do what he wanted them to do, you know, for his benefit. But the king of the nations, the true king, the king of all creation, was a true ordainer of all these events. Caesar Augustus was just a pawn in um, God's hand, and in God's perfect timing and wisdom, he simply deemed it to be so. So that all the prophecies that were made thousands of years before, dating all the way back to the book of Genesis, would now be fulfilled. So we see in in verse 8, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. So um, the shepherds are doing what they do, right? They're watching the sheep. It's interesting because the region that they are in around Bethlehem is about six miles south of Jerusalem. And Jewish law stated that any any sheep, any animals found in that region could be used for a temple sacrifice. So it's conceivable that the shepherds that the good news was revealed to were watching over sheep that were destined for slaughter for the payment of Israel's sin. Isn't that amazing? How ironic is it that the same shepherds who were about to receive the good news about the Lamb of God. So shepherds, as you can imagine, they weren't high on the social ladder They were uneducated, they were unskilled, they had limited rights, right? They couldn't vote, for example. They couldn't testify in court. They they were considered ceremoniously unclean because they couldn't uh, partake in the the, um, man-made sabbatical um, ordinations because they were always out in the field working. So they they were not highly thought of. They were humble, simple people, not at all the type of people that you would expect Uh, the king of the universe to reveal himself to, but that's exactly what happened. And so I asked, why did God choose to make such a wonderful announcement to the simplest of peoples? And I think it's, it's a picture of Christ, our good shepherd, and his reason for coming, right? He didn't come for the self-righteous, the religious, or the self-sufficient. He came for those in need. In Mark 2.17, Jesus said, Those that are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but to call the sinners. He came for you. He came for me. And then in verse 9, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Any time in Scripture that an angel or the glory of the Lord appears to someone, they're terrified, right? Understandably so. Sometimes the angels appearing signifies um, just a pronouncement. Sometimes it's a blessing. Sometimes it's, um, it's judgment. But regardless of the reason for the appearing, people were always afraid. The, the, the word that's used here for fear literally means to be terrified, but it also means to be struck with amazement. So they weren't just afraid, but they were filled with awe and reverence at the appearance of God's glory. I think when mankind ponders the holiness of God, we are made deeply aware of our sins, and we should tremble before him. When the Lord appeared to Isaiah in the temple, Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, who fell down on his face. The Apostle Peter, after witnessing a miracle performed by Jesus, said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. 
It's right to be afraid in the presence of a holy God. But notice what the angel says next. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The shepherds were told not to fear. Why? Because this appearing was not about judgment, but about good news, about the greatest news that the world has ever seen. What's the great news? So the, the, this, is, this, this is really the cool part for me. The root word for the phrase good news is euangelizo. You're not going to judge me for, for mispronouncing the... <laughs> I'm going to get my year in evaluation. He's going to be like, you need to work on... Euangelizo, and it's where we get our English word evangelize from. It literally means to preach, to proclaim. In the New Testament, it is almost exclusively used to refer to the salvation that comes from Christ. All right? The Greek word for joy here is hara. And it means joy, gladness, or source of joy. But the cool thing is, if we were to drill down into that root word of joy, and you'd see two root components, and the word literally means to rejoice because of God's favor or to experience God's grace. So the angel is literally saying, I proclaim to you the source of true joy, God's grace toward you, which is salvation in Christ. And so, church, this is huge, right? When I realized this, like I'd read this passage a hundred times, but it just, it just hit me different. That's, that's where I find my joy. You know, that's the only place that you can find your joy. And then the passage concludes by noting that, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. The word for multitude in the Greek means a great number or it could signify the whole number. Now we don't know for sure. Um, it possibly signifies that every single angel in existence from the heavens was there at the event, right? We don't know for sure, but it would, it would make sense because this was such a wonderful event. What we do know is that it was unprecedented throughout all of Scripture for so many angels to appear at one time. So this is a big event. And then look at what happens. The angels burst out in a chorus of singing praise to God. What we have here, church, is basically the first New Testament sermon. The angel appears, he delivers the message of salvation through Christ, and it closes with a song of praise glorifying God. After thousands of years of the people of Israel waiting and watching and hoping, and after a period of, of total silence from God for 400 years, the glory of God has returned to earth through the birth of Jesus Christ. I love that. In the birth of Christ, prophecy and promise find fulfillment. The Messianic age has dawned and the kingdom of God has come. Now that's good news. So briefly in the time that we have left, I want to point out four truths of biblical joy that we see in this passage, okay? Point one, true joy, this is the most important one, true joy is found only in the person of Jesus Christ. Only in Jesus. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The angel did not give the child's earthly name. He gave him three titles. Savior, Christ, Lord. The Greek word for Savior means redeemer, deliverer, or preserver. I love that. The word Christ sometimes in some uh, Bible translations 
translated as Messiah means anointed one. It refers to one in a place of high authority, oftentimes a king. It was sometimes used to, the, to describe the high priest of Israel or maybe the prophets of the Old Testament. But it's a place of exaltation and honor. And finally, the word Lord, as used here, points to the divinity of Christ. The Greek word used is kordias, and it translates literally as Yahweh, as God. So the angel is proclaiming that this child, this Savior, this Redeemer, this high priest, this anointed one, this king, the bringer of salvation, this child is God, the one who was prophesied to redeem his people from their sins. This means that Christ is more than a man. He is more than a prophet. He is greater than anything. He is our hope. He is our salvation. He is our source of joy. Acts 4, 12 says, Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. 1 John 4.14 says the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. One of the greatest misconceptions in contemporary um, presentations of the gospel, I think, is that this idea that Jesus came to sort of save us from um, maybe an unhappy marriage, you know, like an unfulfillment or an unfulfillment in a job, or maybe save us from uh, sickness, or, or solve our financial woes. Now, <laughs> these things may be a byproduct of salvation, right? But that's not the primary intent. The primary intent for Jesus coming to the earth in the form of man was to offer himself up as a sacrifice on the cross for payment of our sins, so that in him we might have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. He doesn't, he cares about your marriage, but what he really cares about is his glory, you know? So if your marriage is in a challenging position, maybe you should ask yourself, what is God trying to show me through this? I'm not saying you did anything bad. I'm saying in all things, we should point to the author and the finisher of our faith to see what he wants out of the situation. And I think that's sort of a different mindset. It's this news that produces great joy in our hearts, church. The same joy that Peter called in 1 Peter, inexpressible and full of glory. Only salvation in Christ produces true joy because true joy is found only in salvation in Christ. Psalm 35, 9, Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord exulting in the salvation psalm 40 16 but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you may those who love your salvation say continually great is the lord in romans chapter 5 paul says through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Our deepest treasure and joy is not found in this church. It's not found in other people. It's not found in your marriage. It's not found in stuff. It's not found in our circumstances. It's found in Christ alone. Now look, that seems really simple. Everybody knows the truth, right? But for me to live that out is, is very difficult. So I'm just honest with you on why. Like when I... <laughs> Like when Brad first assigned everything and he gave me joy, I'm like, uh, did, you, did you switch the topics? Like, should Steve preach on joy? And he said, nope. I said, you know me, right? He said, yep. And that's why you need to preach on joy. So he, 
give me a second. All right. So, so point, point two, true joy removes all possibility of fear. This is the big one. What do we mean? The first thing we mean is when we believe by faith that Jesus came and lived a sinless life, was crucified on the cross as payment for your sin and for my sin. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. The wrath of God that was upon you and upon me has been removed. You no longer, if you believe by faith in Christ, you no longer stand in condemnation. That's amazing. You have no reason to fear. Romans 5, 8 through 9 says, But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Romans 5, 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The, the, the word for peace used here in Romans is the same word for peace that's used in Luke 2.14. It means a state of safety, a security, and tranquility. It carries with it the idea that two nations that were at war are no longer at war. Whereas before we were enemies with God, we are now friends with him. And it's important to know, this is one of the biggest misconceptions I think about the passage in Luke, is that some translations say, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. But that is incorrect, church, because that would infer that God's peace is for everyone on this earth, but it's just not true. What the passage really means is that God's peace only applies to those who believe. Now, he desires that all would come, but that specific peace only applies to those who believe. The second thing we mean by the idea that we uh, true joy removes all possibility of fear is because we have been justified by faith in Christ, we no longer fear our circumstances. As God sanctifies you, he sanctifies me, we learn to walk through situations with a confidence not in ourselves, you know, but in the one who created sustains and cares for us. I'm not saying we don't face serious temptations or um, serious challenges in our lives. What it does mean is that through faith in Christ, we've been made more than conquerors and we can withstand the storms of this world. In Philippians chapter 4, Scripture says, do not be anxious, this one is for me, do, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, there's that word again, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Isaiah 43.1 says in part, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Isn't that amazing? He says, Abby, Jeff, Johnny. I don't know everybody's name, so don't be offended. <laughs> Brad, I've called you by name. Specifically you. You are mine. What greater confidence can you have than the creator of the world says, I made you, I have redeemed you, I own you. <laughs> point, point three, <laughs> this, is my, this is not the most important point, but it's my favorite one. 
one of the favorite ones. True joy is based on emotion, not simply logic. All right, so hear me out. I actually almost didn't include this because I didn't know that it was relevant enough, but the more I thought about it, the more I realized um, how, how critical this is, this idea of enjoying God really is. Now, how, many, how many times have, have you heard each other say, there's a difference between happiness and joy, right? When we talk about our marriage, sometimes we say love is a choice, not a feeling. Well, yes and no. I know for me, when I look at Heather, I don't have to, I don't sit down and go, okay, I'm married to her, so I should love her today. How do I do that? And she probably looks at me and says, I'm really just trying to love you right now. <laughs> but I love her. You know, I enjoy her. I treasure her. It's not something I have to do. It's just sort of there. And the truth is that God didn't create us to be robots. He created you and I to have emotions. He wants you to feel things like hope and anger and sadness and joy. It's part of the human experience. So I'm going to give you a real world, world example, all right? Fellas, for those that are married, so Christmas Eve, uh, Christmas morning, right? You come downstairs, you open your eyes, and you discover that your wife has given you um, a, a, a custom, a set of custom fit, top of the line golf clubs. What is your reaction? Does nobody play golf in here? You're going to be like, thank you. This is, this is great. I can't believe you did this. You shouldn't have, and I'm glad you did. Are you okay with the kids? Because I'm going to go play golf for a few hours. Thank you so much. You don't sit there and you don't go, I think I should be excited. You know, I think this is important to me. How do I, how do I become excited? No, it just comes out. It's automatic. It's uncontrollable, right? It's authentic. So, so here's the other side. Let me, let me flip the table. Ladies. You wake up Christmas morning, and your husband, in his love and mercy, have given you a weight scale, <laughs> weight calipers, and a treadmill. What, what emotion are you going to feel? You're going to feel something. <laughs> it's not going to be joy, but you're going to feel something. So I'm going to give all the men in the room just a second and be like, so you, you can't help it. It's just there. The same is true with our relationship with Christ. He came into the world with good news of great joy. He didn't come to bring you to a willpower religion rooted in duty, you know? He came to redeem us from sin, to set us free. He calls you to delight in him, to enjoy him. In Psalm 1611, King David tells God, you make known to me the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. David longs to be in the house of the Lord, to, to, to dwell in the house um, all the days of his life, to simply gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. The fullness of joy that David speaks about here is not found in knowing facts about God, Right? but believing in him, being in his presence, enjoying fellowship with him. It's not a duty to rejoice that in which we value. It's a delight. It's an emotion. And I think it's important that we understand this point because it can be what moves us from a legalistic approach to a grace-filled relationship with Christ. Leads us to our final point. True joy 
proves that we belong to God. This is huge. Oftentimes in Scripture, God commands believers to experience or to not experience a certain emotion. He tells us to rejoice, to have joy. In Philippians, Paul tells the church to rejoice in the Lord always. He then repeats himself directly afterwards. He says, again, I will say rejoice. The psalmist says, but let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. He tells us not to fear. In Lamentations chapter 3, it says, you came near when I called. You said, do not fear. And in Luke, Scripture says, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. These are imperative statements, church. There is something specific that God is instructing us to do. This is a command, right? You don't have a choice. This is what he's telling you to do. But we just established that, that you don't just call up emotions just like that, right? We can't just call up certain feelings. They are, to a large degree, uncontrollable, like when he hands you that treadmill. You're going to be like, <laughs> they just happen. So how are we to do this? How are we supposed to follow the command to feel something when we can't automatically feel it? The answer, in part, I think is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The root word for power is translated in Scripture several different ways. Power, obviously. Mighty work, strength, miracle. Strom's dictionary definition of this word reads, inherent power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature. Inherent power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature. When we believe by faith in Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit immediately indwells within us and we are changed. Like you're not the same. And because God himself now resides within us, we not only have joy in Christ, but we have the joy of Christ in us. And there is never a time when Christ is not in you, so therefore there is never a time when, for believers, you don't have true joy in him. And how do we see this played out in our lives as we grow in Christ? The fruit of the Spirit is manifested in our thoughts and our actions and our attitudes, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's already there, right? You don't have to pray for it. What you need to do and what I need to do is just get out of the way and allow Christ to work in you because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We learn to live and walk in His strength and His wisdom and His power. It is God that does the great work in us and by this we know that we are saved. You know, if I were to pass around a microphone today to you guys, we would learn of we would hear stories of wonderful triumphs, joyous celebrations. And we would also hear of terrible tragedies and failures in our own lives. I've seen people in this church, I've seen people healed from cancer. Literally, I've seen people die from it. I've seen marriages put back together by the grace of God, and I've seen them unfortunately, dissolve and fall apart. I don't say these things lightly. 
church, but the truth is sometimes things just don't work out with a happy ending, you know? That's one of the things I like about Brad when we talk about um, doing these things like God stories, and he's very quick to say, let's don't just focus on the success stories, but let's talk about people that are still struggling with something. Let's talk about the people who are still tempted, because that's real life. But we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, no matter what happens in this life, when we are hidden in Christ, we can walk in the confidence of Christ because he lives within us. And this is what produces true joy in us. There's only one cure for our broken souls, only one thing that truly, truly satisfies us, and his name is Jesus. <laughs> May we rejoice in his truth and his glory together. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your graciousness this morning and allowing us to gather. I thank you for your truths played out in history. I thank you for the salvation of Christ. And I pray that we would be more changed as we leave than when we first entered today. God, I pray that we would see you, the author and finisher of our faith, as our greatest joy, our greatest treasure, our greatest hope. For in you, and only in you, we find total and full satisfaction, fullness of joy evermore. We love you and we thank you in Christ's name. As we finish up our time here this morning, if you're desiring to talk with someone, pray with someone about pursuing joy in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of pain, whatever the situation might be, we would love to spend a few minutes talking with you, praying with you. Pastor Scott will be up here. I'll be up here. There'll be others. We'd love to talk with you. Just to encourage you, pray with you, and see how we can seek to bless you to pursue Jesus Christ, the only giver of true joy. Especially if you're a guest with us today, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Thank you so much for coming and worshiping with us. That means so much to us. Uh, if you are a guest, we'd love to connect with you. And the best and easiest way you can do that is to simply grab your cell phone and text the word CONNECT to our number, 910-424-1298. And also, if you're a guest, we'd love for you to come up as well. My wife and I, Marie, will be up front here. We'd love if you're a guest to come up and just introduce yourself. We can put a name with a face uh, so we can just know who you are and get to know you just a little bit. Uh, but for everyone here... Real quick, our three big announcements we want everyone to know. Just what's going on around here, how you can get plugged in to what's happening uh, here in this Christmas season. All right, uh, number one, uh, this coming uh, uh, Christmas Eve, the 24th, right? So that's, was that a Friday? Is that correct? I should know that. Christmas Eve Friday, we're going to have a Christmas Eve service right here, 5 o'clock, Friday, Christmas Eve. Come, be a part of that. Bring your family, come hang out. Uh, we promise you, you'll be out and in your car driving away by 6 o'clock. So you can go do whatever else you have planned uh, for the evening. But we would really encourage you to let 
um, time with us, worshiping together, be a part of your Christmas Eve tradition this week. Second, uh, December 26th, the Sunday after Christmas, we're just going to have one service, all right, during the 11 o'clock hour, so no 9.30 service, just an 11 o'clock service next Sunday. Um, no child care, no journey groups, none of those things, just everybody in this room at 11 o'clock uh, for one service next week. Again, we'd love if you're in town for you to come and be a part of that with us, uh, worshiping the Lord together as we wrap up this Christmas season and Christmas series and then last of all, as we begin the new year, our new members class starting January 16th, our first new members class for 2022. Uh, if you're interested in that, you can just text the word member to our number, 910-424-1298. Just text member there, uh, and that'll get you signed up for the class beginning in January 16th. And for all the other announcements, everything that's going on, you can just download our app uh, that tells you everything that's happening here. You can find a journey group for the new year, find... Um, Sermon notes, old services, all of that there online on the app. Um, also, you can give online through the app. Uh, we encourage you to give. You can do that two ways, either in the giving boxes as you leave or uh, on the app, uh, whatever works best for you. But we just would encourage you to do that. Uh, thank you so much for being here with us today. I want to close us out in prayer together, all right? Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are the true giver of all joy. We thank you, Lord, that we can just trust in you. We thank you, God, that you provide for us what only you can. I thank you, Lord, that by your grace, you allow us to look for joy in places that we're not going to find it, and you allow us to walk that road so that we know for sure it's not going to be there, so then we can turn around and find it in the real place. So I pray, God, for those here in this room right now that have been searching for joy in the wrong places. I thank you, Lord, there's no condemnation. I thank you, God, that there is no uh, judgment on your children for that. But, Lord, you desire us to see it's not going to be it. It's not going to be the answer. We're not going to find joy there. It's only going to be found in Jesus. So I pray, God, for those here this morning that had the realization that they've been searching in the wrong places. I pray, God, that they would be empowered, Lord, to turn to you, Jesus, and see true joy just in you. Thank you, Lord God. I pray, God, this week as we wrap up into this Christmas 